Hey, this is Jen, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm going to jump into verse 12, and then we're going to jump over to 28 and finish out the chapter, okay? Sound good? Awesome. Thank you for the response. (laughs) All right. 8 verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jumping over to 28. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise be to God. Uh, we'll be, again, we'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And I know we just read a few verses now, but technically we're going to be uh, covering verses 12 to 30. We were just covering those two verses because those will be the brackets for our evening tonight. And so tonight's message is entitled, Do Not Settle for the darkness. So if you're a note taker, that is what the title of tonight's message is. Do not settle for the darkness. Um, There is an author um, that I've read before, and uh, I was introduced to him earlier this year, or well, not this year, last year, 2022, right? Uh, There's an author that I was introduced to last year, and his name is David Foster Wallace. And he wrote a, okay, he wrote a commencement speech um, entitled, This is Water in 2005, and has be, and this, this commencement speech has become a literary staple piece um, in most liberal arts schools. And so he tells this story, he begins his speech, and I'm not going to cover the whole speech, the whole speech is like 22 minutes long, it's just the, literally the first paragraph. And he told, there's these two young fish, and they're swimming along, and they happen to come along an older fish swimming the other way, so they cross paths. And the older fish looks at the younger fish and says to them, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish keep on swimming, keep on swimming, you know, like Dory, keep on swimming. And then eventually, one of them looks to the other fish and goes, what the heck is water? Now, this feels kind of like the beginning of a really bad dad, bad, like a really bad dad joke, um, but this is not the purpose of why the story exists within this speech. The premise of Wallace's speech and beginning it with these fish is helping us see how impossible it seems for us uh, to be aware of the world that we live in. In the case of this story, it's impossible for us to know the waters that we swim in. And this is not by accident, but this is exactly by design. You see, our world is set up in such a way that it convinces us that everything that we see around us is just part of the human experience, right? Like, quote, unquote, this is just how the world is, so we just got to learn how to live with it. Now, for those of us who happen to come from families that are well off or where you happen to experience maybe little, very little difficulty, this idea seems rather okay, right? Because the world doesn't seem that cruel to you. It's been rather okay up to this point. But I wonder... I wonder for a moment if you're willing to admit that the world that exists in your heart isn't as beautiful as the life you've lived on the outside. And for those of you who happen to have externally experienced a very difficult upbringing in your life or experienced significant hardships, I would say probably both your outside world and your inside world are rather bleak. So then when we look at both experiences, both inside and outside, in a world that doesn't really know the waters they're swimming in, how do we navigate these waters? How do we become okay with the world as it is? 
We do it by accepting a counterfeit world. And we may not explicitly know this, but the ache of our hearts actually reveal this to us along the way. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So what could this other world be? What other possible life could we have? So what if I told you tonight that God has designed for his creation, his children, for you and for me, the world that he's designed is far better than what we are currently accepting as our reality. Would you want to live in it? Would you? Now, I'm not saying when I say that there's this beautiful world that God has designed, that this means that you and I are destined to be married, well off, vacationing in Fiji with no cares in the world, as much as that seems to be nice. What I am saying is that in God's world, we're finally free. And we'll talk about what that means a little bit more later. So while God wants us to live in freedom and light, we have an enemy that is set on keeping us from knowing God's design. Satan and his world, his kingdom of darkness, has been blinding humanity for centuries. And the crazy part is, is that humanity unknowingly has partnered with Satan to launch us all as a society and a culture into an age of distraction. And this constant distraction of our culture has aided us or aided in keeping us blind from the life of freedom that God has intended for you and for me to experience all the days of our lives. And so I believe there are three major distractions that you and I probably experience on a day-to-day basis. Maybe not all three, but at least one of the three, if not all three. And the first major distraction is the distraction of consumerism, right? Because we're always being encouraged to read something, to buy something, to do something, to watch something. Always, right? That's what's on your phone. Like, literally, I I want to convince Rachel to get a king-size bed, so I have said in her phone, king-size bed, king-size bed, king-size bed, because I know eventually her Instagram will finally show her a king-size bed so that we can finally get one, because it's always encouraging you to buy a new thing, buy a new thing, and it's all under the guise of that if we consume enough, we will be happy, So, and if you're happy, then you don't really bother asking, wait, what's wrong with the world around us? I'm happy, so it's fine. And this is actually what fuels the Tinder culture. See, many people, when they get on Tinder, y'all know what you want. You're not asking for a buddy to come with you to get ice cream, right? Like, you're, you're asking for something in particular, and that particular thing is sexual gratification, and we want it as quickly as possible. So you swipe through Tinder, and you pick people that you think, eh, they're a six, I'm a six, it'll probably be a done deal, great as quick as possible. And if Tinder won't help you, then our porn will. Right, because the age of consumerism is consume and consume more and more because what we start with won't satisfy us in the long run. The things that began with begin to sensitize. And the second distraction is the distraction of subjective ideologies. It seems like really heady, but it's not. It's just the idea that you and I get to create our own worlds. Like, has anyone noticed how hostile this world is to anyone and anything that doesn't share the exact same views as you? Right? Like, our society is readily exposing us day in and day out to the belief that our personal and individual beliefs are the most important things about us. And this especially is true when it comes to questions of justice, morality, and sexuality. And the moment you tell someone you disagree with them, they now have the license in our world and culture to call you a bigot. 
And if that's the case, if you're a bigot, then I get to go to war with you because really, I have to stand here and I have to be last man standing, even if it costs me you. And when we do, when we go into these war over ideas and ideologies and thoughts and tweets and Instagram posts, we forget behind all these things is an actual person. Because we go to war trying to make sure that our self-created identity is left intact. And what a perfect distraction then, right? From the brokenness of this world. We can't notice that everything else is falling apart because I hate you. (laughs) And you hate me. And this final distraction is fueling all of this. It's a distraction of technology and media. Right, like our advertisement industry, our technology industry, whatever industry you can think of, banks on you and I never asking the question, what world are we even living in? And we get blasted information all the time, right? There isn't a square inch of this, even this building, how many computer screens are in this building that give you access to the, to the news 24-7. And then after being bombarded with all the atrocities of the world that we live in, we start to actually want to be welcomed by distractions. We start inviting into our homes. And listen, I'm not here to knock technology at all, but I've noticed this so often in my own life, like especially when I watch new TV shows, right? Like after a long work week, I turned to my wife, Rachel, and I convinced her that we need to watch 10 episodes of Big Bang Theory because I need something, really just anything, to come for me after the week I've just had. And then after about the fourth hour of watching TV, I realized I got to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom, and then after what feels like only 30 seconds actually ends up me being in the bathroom for 30 minutes because somewhere along the way in 10 seconds, I somehow managed to pull this thing out, and I'm either scrolling through Instagram or I'm playing five to six rounds of Clash Royale or of Candy Crush, whatever it is that you like and enjoy more. It's ironic then that I somehow need more distractions from my original distractions. And then it goes beyond that, right? Because we're not just blinded to the world around us, but we're blinded to the heart inside of us. So I love how Alan Noble in his book, Disruptive Witness, puts it. He kind of does it in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, but it's true nonetheless, and I would imagine many of you understand this experience. He says, self-avoidance is probably my most advanced skill set. I've developed it over the years in response to the burden of being alone, which can bring up many unsettling truths. Of course, I have plenty of help from the rest of society because it helps me stay distracted. So if this was all, though, right, if all of this was blinding us, right, if all these things are blinding us, you would imagine that as humanity, we would advance to a point where we would just stop doing it. Like, we get to a point where we're like, that's kind of bad. We probably shouldn't consume 20 hours of, of social media every day. That's kind of bad. We probably shouldn't have sex with 50,000 people in one day. Like, these things are bad. Shouldn't we stop distracting ourselves with that? But Jesus' words in tonight's passage reveals something to us that fuels ultimately why we're so blind to everything around us. Again, so we're in verse 12. What does Jesus say? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is a rather interesting way to begin this conversation with the Pharisees because again, the verse says he spoke to them again, which means this was a new conversation that is being started. So why would Jesus begin this new conversation saying, I am the light of the world? You see, in John chapter 7, we read this a couple weeks ago, we read about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called Sukkot in Hebrew. And during Sukkot, there is this water ceremony that happens. But there's also this lighting ceremony. And the lighting ceremony was done in the evenings after everything's done in preparation for Hanukkah. Anybody heard of Hanukkah? Yep. So now Hanukkah is not one of the commanded feasts 
that, are, that we see in the Old Testament, but it becomes an event that becomes part of the Jewish lifestyle after the second temple um, was rebuilt in Jerusalem. So in, in the temples of the court of the woman, which is outside, there were these four massive menorahs placed there because they literally couldn't fit them inside the temple itself because these lamps are 86 feet tall, four of them. Now, I did the math here. Google did the math for me. 86 feet is seven stories high, okay? We're talking about these four golden menorahs that are seven stories high, and it would take about 65 gallons of oil to light each one of them. And so the young priests in the evening would go climb these ladders and light up each menorah branch on each night. And then all of Jerusalem at some point would be able to see the fire burning in the temple. In fact, it's probably safe to say that anyone within a three to four mile radius could see the fire burning inside the temple of Jerusalem. And with this as the backdrop, Jesus begins his conversation to the Pharisees. He says, I am the light of the world, knowing that they know these menorahs right behind them burning bright. It's as if to say, just as the menorahs light up this city, I will light this world. And so Jesus understands something here, though. He's not just saying this because there's this cultural thing happening. He's saying this because he understands something that his listeners have failed to see. The entire world is in darkness, and it's ruled by Satan. And this is not the way that God designed the world to be, and this is not the creation he designed it to be. He did not design his creation for darkness, but was always meant to experience the light of his life. And so Jesus finishes verse 12 by saying that those who follow this light will have the light of life, and this is what we need to remember tonight. This is what you and I were created for. We were not created to be bound by darkness, but right here and right now, we were meant to experience the freedom of his light. You were not made for darkness. Let that sink in. Think about the darkness of your heart. Think about the darkness of this world. Think about the darkness that you run away from. You were not created for that. And so then you'd imagine Jesus would say, all right, let's figure this out. How are we getting you out of this? How do we live in the light? He doesn't do that, actually. In verses 13 to 20, he's actually repeating these arguments that he's made in previous parts of the Gospel of John. And as you read these verses, it's really gonna be really tempting to read this and like, wait, uh, none of this makes sense. Like, you said you're the light of the world and now you're making all these random comments. And so I'll read you the original reading that I took from this. It's kind of petty, but this is how it came out in my head. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Verse 14, no, I'm serious. I'm telling you the truth. Verse 15, I don't judge people, you judge people. Verse 17 through 20, you don't know me and you don't know my dad, God the Father. That sounds petty and it sounds random, but that is actually not how we should read this text at all because this section is neither petty nor random. Remember, Jesus just made the statement, I am the light of the world. So what does light do? It dispels the darkness, right? Darkness does not exist. It's crazy if you know this. In and of itself, it doesn't exist. It only exists when there is no light. By itself, it does not exist. So when light comes in, it dispels the darkness, and it reveals and exposes all that is hidden. So each statement and encounter that Jesus has here 
is him showing that his very nature is light. And because his very nature is light, wherever he is and wherever he goes and wherever his light points out, he will always reveal the truth. So when we read these statements, verses 13 through 20, it'll read much more like this. I am the light of the world, and I've exposed that the Pharisees have no idea about the law they claim to uphold. I am the light of the world, and I've exposed that the, the Pharisees judge wrongly. They judge according to worldly standards, and I judge the heart because only I, God, can see the heart of man. I am the light of the world, and I've exposed that while the Pharisees may know much about God the Father, they have no relationship with him because you can only know the Father through me. Now, I'm going to give you a, a quick pastoral side note. May we not be like the Pharisees. Because you see, the Pharisees had their own set of distractions that blinded them. In John 1, 11, it says this, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own includes the Pharisees, which is ironic because no one would have known the Old Testament scriptures better than the Pharisees, and yet they're blind to the fact that Jesus, their Messiah, their Savior, stood before them. And this is not the kind of knowledge, so he says, you do not know me or my Father. It's not talking about like factual knowing, like two plus two equals four. This knowledge that he's talking about is experiential. It is meant to be done through relationship. So we have to continually remember this, that salvation does not come from knowing a lot about Jesus. It only comes from being in a relationship with Jesus. This is part of his mission. This is what he's exposing. You may know a lot about me, but you have shown clearly you know nothing about being with me. What an indictment both to the Pharisees and to us today. How many of us say we know much about Jesus? How many of us can say in our Instagram posts all the passages that we are memorizing and the Bible plans that we just finished and we actually have no idea about this Jesus that we so much readily say we know about? You see, the crazy thing is Jesus is there, right? And, and, and unlike us, like, we don't get to see the physical body of Jesus here and now. But these people, they heard him, they saw him, they saw him walk, they saw how he talked, they saw him do miracles. And the Pharisees, for whatever reason, could not see the truth of Jesus. I mean, they're having this conversation time and time and time again. And I begin to wonder, why can't they see the truth? Yeah, I mean, I get it. They were distracted by their own arrogance. I get that. But Jesus was disrupting their their distractions. He was making it very clear. He was speaking to them, his voice piercing their hearts. But we have to ask, why in the world is it that these people who know God's word, they've heard him speak and yet still can't accept it? Why? Verse 21, it says this. Jesus speaking again. I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot Come. Did you catch it? Did you see, do you see what it is that is blinding the Pharisees? See, earlier in my message, I said that there is three major distractions of our culture, but there is a fourth one, and it has been hidden from all of us. See, those other three distractions, any person could have come to that conclusion, regardless if they're a Christian or not a Christian. Right? Like, like I actually, those three distractions didn't come from the Bible. 
Those came from major publications and news articles and YouTube things and podcasting that I have watched and I have, uh, I have come to the conclusion that these are three major distractions. And you see, most of these people, these men and women, are writing these articles and, and being secular thinkers and they're trying to make sense of the world around them, but for all their efforts, they can't seem to move themselves away and pull the trigger from these damaging distractions because this is the water that we all swim in. And honestly, they're like, is there any other water for us to swim in? And now while Christ wants to expose the distractions of our hearts and he wants to expose the distractions of this world, he wants to do that. There is one distraction, there is one blinding factor that neither man nor, nor genius, no matter man, woman, or child can ever come to conclude unless he exposes it. Christ exposes our fourth major distraction of the evening and it's our sin. Did you hear that? The fourth major distraction is our sin. Okay, I, I'm gonna explain to you why this matters. See, the apostle John is not stating sin as an action. He's using it in a very specific way. In the Greek, what the sense he's trying to convey is that our sin is a state of being. See, Jesus in verse 12, again, says that if anyone walks with him, they will have what? the light of life. And then Jesus says to the Pharisees, you don't know who I am or the Father is, so therefore you will die in your sins. In other words, Jesus desires life for his children, but our sin has caused us to be disconnected from the source of life, God himself. And as long as you and I are blinded by our disconnection from God, then we will all share the same destiny as his original audience. You and I will die in our sins. You see, these instant comforts, the subjective ideologies, the technologies that fill our day-to-day -day help distract us from the world around us and hide us from one another, and, but sin does that more. It distances us from God himself. And this is the one thing, the one thing that Satan so desperately wants to keep hidden from us because as John 10.10 10 says, the thief only comes, and the thief being Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And the only way that you and I will be set free from the darkness of this world is not if we become less distracted by this world, it's only if we are in relationship with God the Father. And that's only possible, again, through verse 24. It says here, unless you believe that I am the Savior, you will die in darkness forever. What a bleak picture, huh? Sorry. Now, you may read this and hear me, and you may think that Jesus is just waiting for you and I to just open our eyes. It's kind of like that Shia LaBeouf video clip, right? Just do it already. Just do it. But Jesus is not saying that because he knows that we can't. This is how Jesus finishes tonight's teaching. I'll read it again for us, 28 through 30. And Jesus said to them, when you have lifted the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he the Savior, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he, God the Father who sent me, Jesus, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to God. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. You see, Jesus doesn't just emptily say, I'm the light of the world. 
You see, what he's saying here is that he intends to be the very vehicle of freedom and salvation for everyone who places their faith in him. He intends to be the means of our salvation because he knows you and I will never be able to. Because even if by some chance you and I could open our eyes to the world around us, we would not accept the light because we have been a people far too long in darkness. No one just crazily changes course. No one just decides, today I'm going to be a different person. And honestly, think about it for a moment. Think about your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to be a different person for a week. And then you're back to what you were. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to do this fast and this cleanse. And you're like, honestly, Taco Bell just sounds so much better, bro. Peace. Like I said, like, this is who you are. You're the person who knows Taco Bell. Why would you change it? Because everyone tells you it's okay? Listen, the same thing happens in spirituality in our broken hearts. We don't suddenly be like, ah, maybe I'll consider the light. I'll, I'll be back, darkness. Don't worry. I, I'm going to try this out for a little bit. You see how difficult it is. You're like, I'm back out here. Even if we could accept the, dark, the light, we would never choose to. And Jesus makes this explicitly clear all throughout this passage. And it's again, it's actually tucked away in verse 12 when he says, I am the light of the world. Because he's not just saying this emptily. He's saying this as a reference to the Old Testament. There's two major places where, he, where we talk about a servant of light. And it's in the book of Isaiah and the book of Exodus. In Isaiah 42, right, there's this prophet, Isaiah, and he's given a prophecy that, that states that God would send a servant Right, and this is crazy. It blew my mind. This is hundreds of years before Jesus ever entered the world. God says this in verse 6 and 7. I will give you the servant, meaning Jesus, as a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And then in Exodus, we see this beautiful thing that happens with light. I don't know if you remember the Exodus story, but it's about uh, how the, God's people were held in captivity in Egypt, and God frees them. He sends Moses, a servant, to free them from, from, uh, from Pharaoh. And these are people who were in captivity, and not just like a little bit, but heavily. They were beaten and bruised, foots on their necks, whips on their backs, and God sends Moses to set them free. But it's not Moses, though who provides for them. It's not Moses who guides them in the night. It's not Moses who brings them food and water in the desert because man cannot save man. Humanity cannot save itself. It's why I tell you constantly, please do not look at me as, your, as the young adult director and expect me to save you. I can't because I can't even save myself, but what you and I need is God. And the whole Exodus story is God guiding the people and he eventually guides them through the desert as a pillar of fire. But this fire is not just meant to guide them. It's meant to protect them, to warm them. And it gets better because the purpose of God guiding them out of Egypt was not so they can just leave Egypt and be in the desert. Because guess what? You know what you find in Egypt? I mean, in the desert? Rocks, sand, and cacti. You know what you need to live? None of those things. They would have died. That's not really freedom. It's better for you to have just sent me back inside. But God guides them out of the desert so that they can be taken to the promised land. So what do we do? Like Caesar, I, okay, thanks for the Old Testament narratives. Thank you, I can take a test. What does that have to do with verse 12? Both Isaiah and Exodus are saying this. The servant that you read about that said the captive is free. The God who's, 
who took people out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land. This is who Jesus is. Yes, he's the light of the world, but he's so much more beautiful than that. Jesus is the one who has come to set the captives free. He's the one who provides and guides us as we traverse through this dark world. He's the one who has brought us to the promised land. Jesus has come to set us free. It changes us, doesn't it? Again, oh, I get it. He's a light. That's cool. But I'm free. But knowing all of that, here's my question for us tonight. Why is it that we know these to be true and yet we still choose to go back to the darkness? Why is that many of us choose to live as though the light never came and that we just deserve darkness? Could it be that we're afraid once Jesus exposes our hearts that we won't like what we find? Could it be? Um, for the month of January, I made um, one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my 20s. I got off, I got off of Instagram. <laughs> I know. It's real hard. <laughs> it's real hard. Yeah, you can praise me. Thank you. Uh, and that first night was hard. Thank you for clapping for the who's you did. Like, that joke took a lot, you know. That vulnerability took a lot for me. And that first night was really hard because I was absolutely bored. And, and it really just shows you how much I depend on Instagram to kind of distract me. But the one thing that caught me by surprise was that as I moved more and more into being away from Instagram, I became more and more scared to be alone with my thoughts. Like without the distraction of this app on my phone, I had more space and time to face the reality of what actually is in here that I have often tried to hide from myself and from others. You see, the Without this, the, this app on my phone, I was able to see very clearly <clears throat> how selfish I am with my time, especially when it came to my wife, Rachel. See, actually, what prompted me to get off Instagram was that I would get ticked, I mean livid, when I would be on my phone on Instagram, Rachel comes over and goes, hey, can we watch something? And I'd be like, I'm busy. And then she's like, are you serious? And then so she'll go away and then she'll come back like 30 minutes later. I'm like, I'm doing something. And even as I say that to you, like I grow nervous thinking you're going to think less of me as a leader, a friend, and a husband. And that's, like, that, that's part of the problem, right? That's what we try to hide from. And I use these apps and the distractions of this world to keep my heart hidden from myself. You see, I'm not quite sure that many of us struggle with the idea that Jesus came to set us free. As much as you and I struggle to believe that we can actually have that in our hearts, in our lives. It's not that we're afraid to believe it to be true. We just don't think it's true for us. That is not available to you and I today. We think that might be true in heaven and that might be true for the good saints. But you don't know what's in my heart. I do. That's why I distract myself. And it's perhaps because you think that whatever you're hiding is too big for anyone to handle God himself and perhaps it's because you think that if Jesus, right, if Jesus just saw what was truly in your heart, that he just would be like, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. Peace out. You're too much of a mess. I'm out. Like, that's what we genuinely think sometimes. But please hear me today. Jesus is not seeking to condemn you. He has come 
to set you free. And how do I know this? Verse 28 again. What does he say? What does he say again in verse 28? Let's just read that real quick one more time. When you, Pharisees, have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. You see, when Jesus said this, the people were like, this guy's bonkers. What is he even talking about? When you lift him up, like we're going like, to throw him up in a concert? Like, what's going on? No, the people had no idea that Jesus was referring to his death about the cross. See, a few years after Jesus makes this statement to the Pharisees, his words do come true. These Pharisees would have, insti- would have inst- instituted a plan to have Jesus crucified. And so what Jesus is saying here in verse 28, he goes, You don't know it now, but when I am lifted up on the cross, I will expose the sin of this world. And when you lift me up on this cross, I will expose the brokenness of humanity. I will expose the death and destruction that hides in our hearts. You don't know it. You think you've won. Satan, you think you've won. Pharisees, you think you've won. But what you don't know is that the moment that I am up on that cross and I am pierced for the sins of this world and for my people, I will expose you for the phonies that you are and the world will know that there is one light and there is one king and there is one savior and it is me, Jesus. And so he exposes these things so that he can show you you were not made for the darkness. That the same light that exposes the darkness is the exact same light that guides us away from it and into his glorious light. Let us remember today, freedom is not just for tomorrow. It's for you right now. Freedom from the need to compare ourselves to everyone around us. Freedom from having to claw our way to success. Freedom from drowning ourselves in sex, drugs, and alcohol in the hopes of maybe just not feeling lonely tonight. Freedom from finding worth through our work just finally free. Can you taste it? Can you sense it? Jesus says nothing can reverse it. And listen, it's okay. It's okay if when Jesus reveals our hearts that he finds ugly things in them. It's okay. It's okay. It's not so that you can sit in your sin and feel guilt and shame for all the days of your lives. That's not why he shows the light. It's not so that he can lord it over you and make sure that you know you're worthless. Jesus wants to light your entire heart so that darkness would have no place in your life. And in doing that, he can remove the sin and death that seeks to have our hearts and we can finally be free. Don't settle for the darkness when the freedom of Christ is yours today and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I must confess, I often am afraid of your light because I don't like what I might find. I might find that I'm far more selfish than I would imagine, that I'm far more scared than I'm willing to admit that I'm far more desperate for validation than I'm willing to say, 
that I'm so willing to compare myself to others because that's the only way I can measure success, that I'm so far gone that I think maybe you'll just leave me. But thank you. Glory be to you, the one who came in flesh to be the light of this world so that I would never be left to sit in the darkness, but that you've come to set the captives free. You've come to set us free. For wherever you are, there is freedom. So may we not run to the darkness. May we not settle for the distractions of this world. But Father God, may we cling to you like children cling to their parents' leg. Would we so desperately hold on to you, not because we're afraid that you'll run away, but because what better place than to be next to you? God, I pray for freedom. Freedom for us all, not just for me, but for every person in this room. Freedom even for people in at LifeBridge tonight. Freedom to be your vessels, free to experience all the beauty and glory and mercy that you have for us. Free us for the life that you have designed. Not the one that Satan convinces is true or that the world thinks that we're worthy of, but only the life that you have for us because you only have good things for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.